he decided that the Sermon on the Mount was actually full of suicidal device, uh, advice. Did I you guess. think that was what he was going for there? Really? I don't think so. Hey, folks, thanks for coming out. Why don't you try killing yourselves? I don't think that's how it went. I'm no <laughs> Bible scholar, but yeah, I don't remember that being taught in Sunday school. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of History's Greatest Idiots, the podcast in which we tell you stories about people from the histories of various countries across the world and hopefully give you lessons of their mistakes so that you don't repeat those mistakes again. But who are we kidding? We're humans. We love making mistakes because they're fun. Um, Joining me as ever is my awesome, amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic, man. I'm Glad to be back doing it again. Yeah, man, we're we're getting up quite a roll with these things and just churning out episodes. We are we've been viewed in. I think it. I I did have it open in front of me. In fact, I can open it now and have a look because I've I've somewhat prepared. Um, We have been viewed in countries as far and wide as. Let's see. So the United States, obviously, United Kingdom, uh, the. Republic of Canadia. Um, where, where is that? Uh, it's it's this unexplored wasteland just to the north of New York. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Australia, Mexico, Ireland, Spain, Germany, Bulgaria, New Zealand, the Netherlands, Singapore, Taiwan, Norway, Italy, India, Switzerland, Philippines, Sweden, Malaysia, Argentina, France, South Africa, Poland, Israel, the Central African Republic, Romania, Uh-oh. Denmark, and Thailand. Yeah, oh yeah, I just remembered. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know why we're popular in the Central African Republic now. Oh Oops. god, yeah. Oh, I hope his descendants aren't watching this. This broadcast that would be terrifying so yeah hey, we're just we, trying to learn we're just trying <laughs> to teach the world about mistakes that's all we're not calling your crazy father a, a lunatic or anything no that's that's not our deal at all uh yeah so we've been viewed a lot and we're at i think if i'm not mistaken 1400 all-time views so hey. i really like that yes uh, I love how we're rolling, and um, every time I go back in to check the, because uh, I like statistics and metrics and stuff, I'm kind of a, a nerd for stuff like that. Every time I go back in, I get very excited by stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, how are things? Thing. Yeah. <laughs> you just check up on numbers. It's really fascinating. Um, so, how are you over in Arizona? How are things over there at the moment? Good. Uh, I yeah. mean, rolling into fall. I'm getting excited mm. for like Halloween and putting out those oh, decorations. Yeah. But... I'm excited yeah. for our Halloween episode. So, oh, yeah. you folks out there, if you are interested in scary idiots, although the majority <laughs> of people we cover are quite scary in one way or another, but specifically themed scary idiots, hang around because we will do a Halloween special. And boy, am I looking forward to that. I really, oh, I really yeah. love the idea of doing that. But yeah, I, I quite like the Halloween season, not specifically just because of Halloween, but also like the weather changes and like fall um yeah autumn as we call it it's just one of my favorite times of the year because everything's just a bit more mellow i can start wearing normal layers again instead of hiding my body in the summer uh (laughs) but yeah i just um i i I like the fall and uh, i bet it's really beautiful in arizona because you guys are kind of finally out of the the blaring heat the glaring heat of the sun getting there we're getting getting there there. it's it's end of october that it it cools down a bit but nice. i mean it's it's getting into uh, we got summer and other season 
<laughs> hot and slightly less hot. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's basically <laughs> what Arizona is. Whereas, like, Norway has two seasons, uh, light and dark. And that's, that's basically <laughs> it, essentially. Um, so, Derek, um, who is your chosen idiot this week? Well, I've got somebody that uh, really kind of bums me out. But at the same oh. time, I think it'll be possibly some interesting stuff for you. Okay, uh, great. So, you know, there's some people that are so filled with hatred that it boils over and it spreads a little bit. Oh, yeah. And Plenty this of guy's, Yeah, this guy's revulsion and loathing, it not only boils over and spreads, but it's so intense that he creates a religion and other organizations that continue on long after his death. Ooh. Because uh, because of this man, there's a cult of hate and violence that still exists and grows today in the United oh, no. States and I believe worldwide. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, yeah, he's he's a super douche. <laughs> so, oh, um, I, I mean, I'm not judging or anything, but anyway, mm. he's born February of 1918 in Rudnerbyde, Ukraine. Oh, okay. All right. Um, in the Molochina colony. <laughs> sure. It, uh, it was yeah. a settlement of Russian Mennonites. Ra- it had its oh, own wow. special name, but I can't pronounce any of their stuff. So. Uh, okay, yeah. Well, it's like, it's Cyrillic, so like the translation from Cyrillic to roman- romantic languages, it's like, it's really complicated. So yeah, it, it's going to be very difficult to say a lot of these names, unfortunately. Well, so, that's yeah. all of the naming I'm going to do from here on out. <laughs> <laughs> can't say um, I blame you. I wouldn't either. He had a rough start early on. Uh, Almost died of typhoid fever at nine months of age. Oh, wow. And then went on to survive the Russian famine from 1921 to 1922. Wow. And in in some of his stories, he's told uh, that his his family had to ration food for him, his two brothers, his two sisters, his mom and his dad. And sometimes (sighs) dinner consisted of only one slice of dark bread for dinner. Oh, dark bread? Yeah. As in? Like a rye or like wheat? Oh, okay, right. Well, potato yeah. bread. Okay, sure. Yeah, that's that's not great. At least he, he got a slice, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I'd die here. on a slice of bread here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm a I've, bit I've large had times, for that. Yeah, yeah. I've had times when I've been very, very sick with Crohn's disease, where it's like, yeah, I'll just have a slice of toast. That'll do. It's like, oh, yeah, man. you know. So it's like, yeah, I, I get it, but yeah, that's that's pretty. Nobody should have to suffer through that in childhood. That's not good. and. Because nobody should have to suffer through that. By the age of five, him and his family dipped out of there and went to Mexico, where Ooh, they stayed good. for all of a year. <laughs> okay. Not a whole lot happened. And Not then they, fans of the quesadillas then, no? They jumped to the other side and went oh. to Saskatchewan, Canada in 1925. Wow, that's quite the jump. They, they skipped an entire country in, they did. in between. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to my understanding, he was raised in a Mennonite Christian uh like community and okay. he attended the German English Academy which is now known as Rostern Junior College in Saskatchewan Saskatchewan okay. sure. man I can't even say Canadian stuff <laughs> that's okay <laughs> I would struggle with that one as well to be fair so uh he went on from there to earn a bachelor of arts a bachelor in science in Ooh. electrical engineering oh wow and a teaching certificate all of that happened in 1943 Okay, that's and kind of impressive, you know, two degrees in the uh, the 1940s after that kind of start to life where you're jumping all over the world. That's 
that's a great achievement. Well done, mystery person. That's great. Right. And at this point in his life, he's poised to actually be on a good path, you'd think, right? Excellent. Yeah, exactly. I mean, given that and, you know, Canada at the time, it's kind of emerging out of the Depression. And, you know, we're in, obviously, you're in the World Wars. But, you know, it's not, it's certainly better than the Ukraine was at the time. So it oh, does yeah. look like he's on, you know, the world is his oyster to a certain extent. So that's good. Let's see where he goes. And- it is. He heads on down to California in 1945. Right. Uh, shortly after that, in 1946, he met and married his wife, Henry Etta McWilliams. Okay. And yeah. uh, became an L.A.-based real estate uh, tycoon of sorts with his partner, <gasps> Ben Burke. But uh, shortly after starting, he bought out Ben because he believed Mr. Burke to be a drunkard with a gambling problem. Okay. Well, yeah. I relate to that guy. (laughs) (laughs) Probably not so good if I were a real estate business owner. but If you were uh, part of a business where the other person was a bit like, I'm not too sure about that, then, yeah, drinking and gambling is probably not a great thing if you're handling vast sums of money. So, yeah. Probably not so much. But in 1951, he welcomed his one and only child, Kim, into the world. And by 1952, he'd wandered and dabbled with other real estate business dealings and some land purchases in Nevada that uh, actually set him up to sell his stock in the company for approximately $150,000, and then he retired. Oh, nice. So he's done well. That is a really good... I mean, what is he at this point? like? So this is 1950? It's 1952. 52, right. So he's in his 40s... You know, he's... Is he 40? Maybe. I don't... He's born 1918. I'm not going to do the math because, well, it's <laughs> Saturday. Neither. No, he's, he's, <laughs> he's still relatively young. He's, he's already retired. He's made what was definitely a fortune at the time, you know, $150,000, you know, looking at three or four times that from where it was then. Yeah, you'd absolutely yeah. retire and live off that. Good for him. Seems like he got a little bored with retirement, though. <laughs> Um, he remembered he had a uh, degree in electrical engineering around 1955 or 56 Uh-oh. because on March 26, 1956, he filed for an application uh, for a patent on a wall-mounted electric can opener. Another okay. good thing. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's random, but I'm not sure if you really want something that's like waist or hand high to have a sharp serrated blade nearby i'm not sure yeah. it, maybe maybe okay. i don't know what the design was but good for him he's coming up with patents like it, it. doesn't it doesn't last long marketed oh. as the can electric because uh, competition from larger manufacturers sure. like produced the same thing for way cheaper yeah, yeah so that's by- that's always the way with patents like that by 1962 he dissolved the company and wandered mm. off Okay. Yeah. Again, had time on his hands, and like yeah. most retired folks do, he moved down to Florida. <laughs> of course <laughs> he did. Well, it's, it's the beginnings of the stereotype right there in the 60s, so, exactly. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 1966, he starts to dabble in politics Ooh. and served Broward County in Florida uh, for the House of Florida Representatives from oh. November 1966 to March 1967. Okay. He, he ran on an anti-busing an anti-government platform. Oh, okay. So he's he's probably quite Republican then at this point. Um, say. Ultra, yeah. Ultra Republican. Is he? <laughs> yeah. Is this a, actually, around about the time that the Republican and Democrat? I can't remember when the switch happened 
in American politics where you know the Republicans uh, went right and the Democrats went left. When was was that? Before the civil um, rights, after Maybe was before remember. civil rights, I right. believe it started because okay. he was actually working on the George Wallace campaign. Oh, for president! Okay. Wow, at the time. Wow, this guy's very successful. Fair dues. Yeah. you know he's doing well. I suspect he, there's a turn coming, but <laughs> well, here comes a little bit of a turn. He campaigned okay. for the Senate in 1967, but he was defeated. Right. And it was around that same time in his life he started getting frustrated with religion. Uh, okay. And becoming a little bit disillusioned with society because of what he viewed as too much of a tolerant position towards Jews. Oh, no. Uh, Here we go. Yep. <laughs> around that time, the communism was spreading, the civil rights uh, movements going on. That sure. kind of reignites his interest in politics. And sure, he becomes yeah. a member of uh, the John Birch Society, which is an ultra-conservative, uh, ultra far-right, anti-communist, small-government group. Right. Okay. Starting to get a bit bad now. <laughs> and then he opens up a little bookstore he operates that handles only the American Opinion uh, Publishing, which is like a publisher that produces kind of a nationalist, far-right, opinion-related literature. That's not good. This is not a good road he's, he's going down. And it's going bad quick, because in yeah. November 1970, he joined with Austin Davis, and the two created the Nationalist White Party. Oh, Jesus. That was... I mean, I, I, I could see where this was going, but to be so brazen with the naming, it's like... Oh, just out the gate? <laughs> yeah, just like straight out there, just, yeah, white as, yeah, that's that's kind of pinning your... Uh, your colors to the wall right there that's that's really not good or specifically one color um i can't imagine his um i can't imagine his bookstore did very well though you know you go into a bookstore and you're like ah you've got a classic section you know where where's your fiction where's your where's your nope, graphic we've novels got, i hate jews and jews go over that way <laughs> we got the elders of Apparently. zion and yeah. then a republished <laughs> version over here uh wow yeah. that's not good so he's taking this dark turn, and here we go. The National White Party, Ugh. Nationalist White Party uh, platforms directed at white Christians okay. and was explicitly religious and racial in nature. Yeah. The first sentence of the party's 14-point program is, quote, We believe that the white race was created in the image of the Lord. Oh, End my quote. God. What the fuck is this? This is, um, that feels like it was borrowed from the Torah or something or like Old Testament he, stuff like God created man yeah a little bit there yeah well, I mean it is a uh, religious Christian religious-ish sort of sure. right wing thing yeah apparently Le Jeez. less than a year after the the Nationalist White Party was created though he started having concerns about Christianity as in he, well he decided to take a closer look at the Bible okay. and after an ultra close rereading of it he decided that the sermon on the mount as preached by jesus mm -hmm. was actually full of suicidal device uh, advice <clears throat> really i didn't I think that was what he was going for there really i don't think so hey folks thanks for coming out when you try killing yourselves i don't think that's how it went i'm <laughs> no bible scholar but yeah i don't remember that being taught in sunday school to be fair uh well, wow he goes and starts to get himself in trouble with his own people when he expresses his concerns about Christianity and, and his connections in the party through this series of letters that were not well received 
and pretty much ended his influence in the Nationalist White Party. So, so the Nationalist White Party said, no, 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 dude, you are too extreme for us. Get out. Yep. Oh, God. <laughs> this in man's just going to be caught become just a blob of bubbling hate at this point. My God. He is. In 1973, he's got a new plan, and he founds his own church. Oh, no. The Church of the Creator. Uh, he does okay. so in the publication of Nature's Eternal Religion. The right. individual church members were called creators, and the religion they preactist uh, <laughs> <laughs> was called creativity. So uh, okay. re religion's called creativity, okay. and... The whole thing kind of sounds rather harmless on the surface. On the surface, it sounds okay. It's like he's found the Lord, he's doing a different religious thing, maybe he's gone on the right path. But at this point in his life, knowing what you've just told us, uh, I doubt that's the case. I suspect it's he's going to get worse. It's the candy shell on the... <laughs> the shit-covered middle. <laughs> <laughs> so... It, it looks like the worldview of creativity is supposed to be naturalistic and okay. holistic, and a closer look kind of lets you know that it's a religion of naturalism, but it's also a religion of racialism, based on the views uh, and the values of, quote, survival, expansion, and advancement of the white race. Oh, no. Jeez, dudes, come on. Yeah, the group believes in a set of eternal laws of nature and the experience of history on logic and common sense that leads members of the group to believe in a racial holy war between white and non-white races, including Jewish fuck? people, black people, non-white people, and mixed race people. So he just fucking hates everybody. Oh my god, <laughs> he is um, he is gone at this point. Did like... I am, did I mention where the the whole idea for the the church came from? No. Remember how I said the the church was. They were creators. Okay. Members. Yeah. Well, yeah. that term's derived from Hitler's autobiography. Oh, my Mein Kampf. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm not going to go with the big words. So, <sighs> in Mein Kampf, he breaks it down that the races are in three categories, and the white race is deemed the master race, a.k.a. <sighs> the creators. And so, this batshit, crazy, violent, racist son of a bitch uh, creates a church based on that. Oh, wow. He... Uh, it's just... This, this okay. So he was born in 1918. He was born into um, uh, sorry, it was um, the Ukraine, right? So he, yes. he goes to yep, Mexico, to lives in Mexico for a year, lives in Canada for the majority of his adolescent life. Canada is quite a liberal country, even at that point. Um, I just wonder what the triggering factor was. I mean, I know you said at various points like he he started to change his views, but he has gone way out there you know I, how does someone do that that's kind of mad really i'm not really sure but it seems like something with moving down to florida or in that yeah. time period kind of made him real tight with yeah. the separationists and and um with anti-busing of course the segregationists yeah and what, he, he what just, the fuck is in the water in florida Jesus. Wandered down a rabbit hole, and yeah, I don't know what's in that water. <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Just quality crazy in the water in Florida, my God. Sorry, carry on. It's just, this is so amazing. In 1982, things continued down a dark path when he established a school for boys with the mm -hmm. original curriculum um, being a two-week summer program that included activities like hiking and camping mm. and training in the handling of firearms okay. and archery. Okay, and archery. 
you know, a healthy actor, outdoor activities there. It sounds a bit like <laughs> Jojo Rabbit. Have you ever seen Jojo Rabbit? The, 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 oh, my God. It's a film directed by Taika Waititi. It's, it's just... It's one of the funniest films of the last 10 years. Um, so, so um, there's a, a point at which Jojo is going on a Hitler youth retreat in the woods. And <laughs> um, uh, Sam... Oh, God, what's the actor's name who was in Moon and stuff? Oh, Sam... I don't... He's, he's like my favourite actor. I can't believe I've forgotten his name. Anyway, he's like a... Boys will make you into men by doing such amazing things like uh, building, crafting, and blowing stuff up. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of like what this guy's doing. He's almost recreating the Hitler Youth, basically, well, at this point. It's funny you say that, because uh -oh. <laughs> the goals and doctrines of creativity oh, no. in this camp would be teaching the boys how that they could best serve their own race oh. through... Various capacities of leadership. Oh, Jesus. And I'm not sure how any sort of military training and indoctrination like this could lead to um, testosterone-fueled, <laughs> impressionable young male youth to be anything like, you know, the Hitler's youth group. Mm. But mm. they kind of were. So Yeah, pretty the much. The training and preaching and expansion continued, and he started to popularize the idea of the racial holy war. Oof. In 1987, he published a book. Uh, ra, Rahau. Rahau. Uh, this planet is all ours. Ugh. And in that, he claims that the Jews created Christianity in order to make white people weaker. <laughs> and it was his first priority to smash the Jewish behemoth. That's that's out there. Even He's for conspiracy so theories. He's such an angry man. <laughs> Holy he, shit. He consistently called black people... Mm, yeah, the N word. You don't have and to. Yeah, he did it in public discourse and in literature oh. and everywhere he went. He didn't even try to hide it. Did he basically in, use every racially insensitive word he could for every racial group? I I believe that was the case All because right. in that yeah. natural or nature's eternal religion publication, he wrote. Uh, Furthermore, in looking up the word in Webster's dictionary, I found the term very descriptive. A vulgar, offensive term of hostility and contempt for the black man. Oof. I can think of... Um, I can't think of anything that defines better or more accurately what our position should be. Oh, God. So, what a horrible piece of shit this guy is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, perhaps uh, it was the ideas like that that he was spreading that led George Loeb, a minister mm -hmm. for the church to murder a black sailor in Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, no. Uh, it's a crime he was committed of in July of 1992. Jeez. And around this time, yeah. uh, dude's wife, Henrietta Etta, uh, <laughs> became ill and died of cancer. Oh, no. That's just going to tip so, him over the edge at this point, isn't it? Well, he's distraught from the death mm. and really worried that the conviction of that minister was going to result in the seizure of his 20 acres of land that was worth around $400,000 in okay. North Carolina. Right. Um, and he was starting to have some conflicts with other neo-Nazis, <laughs> so he decided that he'd sell the property for $100,000 to the National Alliance, which oh. is an organization that was headed up by another white supremacist named William Luther Pierce. Yeah, I've heard who was the that. author... Yeah, he's the author of the Turner Diaries, which is believed to be an inspiration for hate crimes, as well as the Oklahoma City bombing yeah. in 1995. Yeah, they found that with um, 
a bunch of uh, what's his name's Timothy McVeigh's stuff, wasn't it? That's one. Yeah. He had a copy of that on him, didn't he? Yeah. He did. Um, wow. <laughs> this guy. So moves he's basically. Yeah, he's keeping his church in in the family and spreading hate efficiently, and he sold it to a dude that I think might even be worse. Yeah, um, so he's essentially a domestic terrorist at this point, not just even a far right. Like, he is kind of involved in murders, and wow, just, God. In a roundabout sort of way, yeah. Yeah. Uh, With all this stuff going down, in January of 1993, he transferred the title of Pontifex... Pontifex sure. Maximus sure. Yeah. Uh, that he stole from the Romans and, and and as well as the leadership from the failing church to Dr. Rick McCarty mm-hmm. um, despite being a natural hygienist who promoted a back to nature philosophy and recommended raw food diets which consisted of fruit and vegetables uh, he believed to be medicine or they, he believed raw fruits and vegetables to be medicine and okay. that medicine and processed food created cancer inside the body Okay. Um, so he's then diagnosed himself with cancer in 1993, so that shit didn't work. Um, <laughs> Jesus. I guess maybe he didn't believe strongly enough in the healing methods. He of didn't his eat enough preachings. raw fruit and veg and took, two, took one too many paracetamol, and that's, that's what yep. did it. Yeah. Um, in August of 1993, still suffering with depression from his wife's death and the loss of his church and uh, cancer. And his mm. philosophies being all wrong and completely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Um, he committed suicide Oof. and was buried in uh, on his land in North Carolina. So from humble Mennonite beginnings in the yeah. Ukraine to openly racist and anti-Semitic neo-Nazi cult leader status. Uh, so ends the twisted tale of Bernhardt Ben Clausen, an American politician, white supremacist, and founder of the Church of the Creator the driving force behind the popularized idea of the racial holy war. Jesus. And uh, I think he's one of history's greatest idiots. What do you think? Um, I think he's probably top ten history's greatest assholes, for sure. Um, oh, yeah. Like, in terms of entire human history, he's up there. Holy shit. This guy was overcome, and it, it's weird. We, we've talked about addiction before in this podcast, and I suspect this guy was addicted to the the kind of the hatred and animosity and the kind of the fervor and boiling rage that he had. Because that, when people get into fights or arguments and stuff like that, generally when they feel that they've won or, you know, after the argument, they kind of feel catharsis, which can release similar chemicals in the brain as, like... Uh, eating chocolate or exercising or having sex and stuff like that so I feel that this guy at some point in his life and I mean obviously the the 60s in America was a very um, tumultuous time politically and socially and economically and all of those things and obviously he went kind of the opposite way of how America turned out as a result of those changes so I just wonder if he got addicted to the conflict of it and the fact that he was seen as like he believed he was righteously right but he was probably seen by others as a lunatic and a, a an extremist and i bet he probably fed off that this guy is i mean i i don't like using the word evil because in my word in my idea that the idea of calling someone 
evil or like, oh, this person's a monster. The police tend to do it after someone's sentenced at a trial or something like that. I feel that it reduces the impact of what this person's done because you're going like, oh, they're other. They're not human. They are... Right they are monstrous they're not part of society don't worry you're not like them but actually the capacity for doing terrible things exists in everyone it's just right you know we don't always act on it and we don't always give in to those impulses but i feel like this guy readily gave in to the worst impulses that he possibly could and i'd imagine it's because it gave him an element of control over what he was doing had he just lived a quiet life after he retired He'd have been fine. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. the guy was retired in his 30s, 40s, whatever it was. He'd have been okay for the rest of existence. And something in him needed more. And the more thing that he needed, apparently, was hate. And Yeah, and he spiraled out of control with it. Boy, did he. <laughs> Holy shit. And, I mean, so he was also responsible for the death of someone indirectly because of the stabbing. Is that correct? Yes, and that that uh, new New World Church of the Creator mm. is waging that new uh, racial holy war. I don't know if it's uh, all worldwide, but I know yeah. they're a big time uh, domestic terrorist group here mm. still. Uh, Jeez, so. yeah, I I suspect. See, here's the thing: um, I can't rate this guy too highly purely because I've never heard of him until now. Okay, yeah. so th- the fact that. He he's clearly a bastard. There's no two ways about it. He is really fucking horrible. But he's so unsuccessful in his mission of whatever the fuck it was, you know, starting a <laughs> racial war. The dude's from the Ukraine. Does he know the history of the Ukraine? Because I, I think if he did, he wouldn't be talking about the purity of the white race because he might want to look at the migratory movements of peoples through the Ukraine over the last few hundred thousand years or whatever. Right. So um, he's an idiot, for sure, for that very fact alone. Pretty much anyone that talks about racial supremacy is a fucking idiot from the beginning. It's like, what are you talking about? Um, right. So for that alone, um, he gets more points for being that kind of stupid. Like, you are stereotypical, hard-right, racist scumbag. So that immediately gets you more points in my book. However, the <laughs> fact that you are an unknown, unsuccessful fucking lunatic gets you less points like had you, had he been successful he would definitely have been one of history's greatest idiots because you know he would have had a massive impact on the world you know we're talking life-changing impacts um i'm gonna say an 82 for this guy okay um i would love to rate him higher but because he's had such little impact on the world that's a good thing hence why yeah. he scores less whereas like the guys we've talked about who have almost literally destroyed the planet or have wiped out like millions of people or or mass murdered their way across the United States before becoming president and enacting really (laughs) racist things. Um, Those people are terrible because their, their idiocy was not checked. This guy, fortunately his own failures as a human being stopped him from being a danger to a larger population. So thank God he was a yeah. less successful idiot, really. Um, I'll take that score, though. Yeah. 82, you said? 82, yeah. I, I'd happily yeah. give this this complete bastard an 82. That, that was an easy score for me. I'd now like to tell you the story of someone who 
maybe not so much in America, possibly if you're a big kind of big sports fan of like every sport. Um, not me. <laughs> um, certainly famous around the world. He is considered possibly, depending on who you talk to, he is considered either the greatest or the second greatest um, soccer player, football player of all time. Um, And I would now like to tell you the story of Argentina's own... Oh, sorry, I'm just uh, having an issue with... The broadcast seems to have died. Okay, never mind. Um, We're still recording. Um, I'd like to tell you the story of Diego Maradona, footballing icon, idiot supreme, because he is... (laughs) Oh, fuck me. Diego Armando Maradona was born on the 30th of October, 1960, at the Polisic... Oh, my God, here we go with these words. Ha-ha, your turn. <laughs> it's my turn. <laughs> Pol- uh the polyclinic, Evita Hospital in Lanús, Buenos Aires province to a very poor family that had moved from Corrientes province. He was raised in uh, Villa Foriento, a shanty town on the southern outskirts of Buenos Aires, Argentina. So the the capital of Buenos Aires, uh, the capital okay. of Argentina. I beg your pardon. Okay. <clears throat> he was the first son after four daughters. He has two younger brothers, Hugo and Raúl. So they had wow, seven kids, um, both Damn. of whom were also professional footballers. His father, Diego Maradona Sr., his his nickname was Chitoro, which I guess means bull or something like that, um, okay. Was uh, who worked at a chemicals factory, was of Gara, Garanai, I think that's pronounced, which is indigenous uh, to Argentina, and Spanish Basque descent. So uh, kind of mixed racial background there. And uh, his mother... Dalma Salvadora Franco, uh, Donna Totta was her name, uh, was uh, thank you, uh, was <laughs> of Italian and Croatian descent. So there's kind of a lot going on, kind of in that family. But that's very typical of um, Argentina. There's there's kind of quite strong ties between Argentina and Italy. So um, I've actually I knew someone from Argentina before and they were like we we kind of have more in common with Italians than Spanish people even though we speak Spanish. So I was like oh, that's kind of interesting. See, I didn't know a lot about Argentina, so thank you for that. It's it's a fascinating country actually and even more interestingly there is a part of Argentina that was kind of settled by Welsh people and the i know and the people <laughs> of that part of argentina speak like part spanish part welsh it's the weirdest language um you'll you'll ever hear because welsh is a phonetic language and spanish is obviously romantic so it's like italian and english and french and spanish like they've got very complicated rules so um <clears throat> so argentinian argentine people argentinian whatever they tend to get on better with welsh people not so much with English, and you know we'll possibly get to why in a little while. <laughs> Maradona's parents were both born and brought up in the town of Esquina, in the northeastern province of Corrientes, living only 200 meters from each other on the banks of the Corrientes River. In 1950, they left Esquina and settled in Buenos Aires. Maradona received his first football as a gift at the age of three and quickly became devoted to the game. I guess like when you're 
and this is weird. This is a weird thing with with soccer and football, because it doesn't. You literally just need a ball. You don't need anything else to play this game. You can create goalposts out of like jumpers. There's a phrase in the UK: jumpers have got jumpers for goalposts. So you okay. just like put one there, put one there. You've got your goal. Um, so and that's why, and also because the British Empire kind of took it all over the globe. And that's why the game spread, because all you needed was a ball and a bunch of people and you could kick it around. You don't need protective gear, you don't need like specialist equipment, you don't need expensive uh, bits of clothing or, or like sticks or anything like that. You just need a ball. Right. That's it. That, You're done. That's all. That's That makes a whole lot of sense. Now it yeah. makes way more sense why soccer is so popular. Exactly. So you think about... All of these huge footballers from across the world over the last hundred years, the big names, a lot of them have come from very poor backgrounds. And the reason they thrive is because they may not have access to education, they may not have access to healthcare, they may not have ex- access to entertainment or, or um, kind of facilities that can kind of give them an interest. But what they do have is a bunch of people pressed around them in very tight quarters and a football and that's that's all they need that's that's it you've and then you train with these people and you become good and that's why footballers as rich as they are a lot of them come from very poor disadvantaged backgrounds a surprising yeah. number so it makes sense they get extra time to get the reps yeah, in and uh, exactly I mean, and all they do in their free time is do this they're not playing computer games they're not right. like you know going out on the town they're not you know drinking they're playing football all the time because it's free, you know? Right. So, um, so uh, back to Maradona. Um, he received, at the age of eight, Maradona was spotted by a talent scout while he was playing in his neighborhood club, Estrella Roja. He became a staple of Los Cabalitas, uh, the Little Onions, apparently, <laughs> was the <Okay>. team's name. <laughs> um, the junior team of Buenos Aires' Argentinos Juniors. So they're a junior team of a junior team? That's kind of weird. Um, eight. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Um, at twelve, as a twelve-year-old ball boy, he amused spectators by showing his wizardry with a ball during the halftime intermission of first division games. So this twelve-year-old is already showing off to large groups of local people. Um, he named Brazilian playmaker Rivalinho and Manchester United winger George Best among his inspirations growing up. I have to point out for anyone who isn't familiar with football or soccer at this point, George Best is, from a footballing perspective, George Best is also probably top five greatest of all time. However, probably not the person you want to idolise as a human being. George Best was the first playboy soccer player. Uh, Um, He managed to get a liver transplant and then 10 years later still drank himself to death. Um, He once went on a 30-day alcohol-fueled bender where the only food he consumed were crisps and peanuts and they were the only snacks that were available in pubs at the time that's literally all he drank and he was still a professional footballer at this point he played three matches that month he was drunk in every single game damn that's impressive george best yeah (laughs) he could drink and play amazing football but he had to retire at 26 because you know, he fucked himself over. And actually, he was offered a shitload of money to go and play in America with Pele and stuff. But and he went to LA and whoo, his cocaine. Ah, um, met Rick James. He met Rick James. <laughs> well, and we'll get to why 
having George Best as an inspiration for a young Maradona was probably not a great thing. Um, on the 20th of October 1976, Maradona made his professional debut for Argentinos Juniors 10 days before his 16th birthday versus Taleras de Cordoba. He entered oh, on really? the pitch... Yeah, sorry. DP, hey, sorry, we've got someone joining us in the stream. Thank you for joining us today. <laughs> Someone's actually joined us on Twitch. That's awesome. Maradona entered the pitch wearing the number 16 jersey and became the youngest player in the history of Argentine Primera División. So the youngest ever player. A few okay. minutes after debuting, Maradona nutmegged Juan Domingo Cabrera, a move no 15-year-old should be able to pull off against the season pro. So a nutmeg is when you're, like, you're face-to-face with another football and you're trying to dribble past them, you think, oh, you, you've just got to go around them, try and beat them with strength. No, he just knocked the ball straight through this fucker's legs. Like, no messing around. <laughs> and humiliated him. It's the worst thing that can happen to oh, a professional man. soccer player. From a 15-year-old. From a 15-year-old who'd been on a professional football pitch for about five minutes. Um, <laughs> after the game, Maradona said, The day I felt I had... Uh, today I felt I had held the sky in my hands. Which is quite a poetic thing to say. That's kind yeah. of nice. I like that. That's just really impressive. 30 years later, Cabrera remembered Maradona's debut. I was on the right side of the field and went to press him. But he didn't give me a chance... He made the nutmeg, and when I turned around, he was halfway down the pitch. So <laughs> this 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 tiny little fifteen year old is destroying people already, and he's barely played a game. So uh, Maradona scored his first goal in the Primera División against uh, Marplantetes, Marplantense, Marplantense, uh, a team from San Lorenzo, on the fourteenth of November, nineteen seventy six. Two weeks after turning sixteen. Um, Maradona Dang. spent five years. I oh know it's fucking crazy. Maradona spent five years at Argentinos Juniors from 1976 to 1981, scoring 115 goals in 161 appearances as a fucking child. That's kind of scary. Yeah, that is well, unprecedented. I I can see how he might get a little cocky. Yeah, this this is going to be an issue. Um, uh, this is He made a $4 million transfer to Boca Juniors in 1981. It wasn't quite a world record, but for a teenager, it was a world record. Um, so Maradona received offers to join other clubs, including River Plate, who, were, who are the rivals of Boca Juniors. Um, and uh, River Plate even offered to make him the club's highest paid player at 19. So, um, nevertheless, Maradona expressed his will to be transferred to Boca Juniors, the team he'd always wanted to play for. This is something I should point out. Maradona is quite, or was, quite left-wing. He was almost a communist. And Boca Juniors and River Plate, it's one of those local rivalries in soccer where it's like there's elements of rich versus poor, and Boca Juniors are kind of considered like the working man's club sort of thing, so I can see why he was drawn to them. Um, Also, Boca are still a huge team in the world of football. They're probably the second or third highest profile team in all of South America, so they are big. They are big news. Uh, Maradona signed uh, with them on the 20th of February, 1981. He made his debut two days later, uh, scored twice on his debut as a 19-year-old, and yeah, he's, he's pretty good. On the 10th of April, Maradona played his first Super Classico, a notoriously tense and potentially violent derby. Like, people have died at these games. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There are, 
soccer, right? You've heard of football hooligans, right? Soccer oh, yeah, hooligans, yeah. stuff like that. Um, some countries go a little bit further than the British hooligans, like the Russians and uh, other countries and stuff. There are deaths at football matches far more regularly than there should be. And I would say probably in the history of football, several, probably a few, maybe 10,000 people have died. Holy, that's way yeah. more than I thought. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> it's like there are always riots and there are fights and stuff, but there is like genuine kind of essentially gang warfare at these that's... things. It's it's like Roman gladiatorial shit. And some people literally only show up to these soccer matches to fight. They don't care about the football. They're just there for the scrap. They will arrange via phone a fight with an opposition uh, group of fans, um, typically... Uh, what are they called? Um, I can't remember the name. They're given specific names. Um, they'll set it up beforehand, and they might even fight while the match is going on, like outside oh, the stadium. Geez. I know it's Sounds fucking like crazy. Raiders fans. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> um, but it's like all the time organized, and they're essentially gangs. So yeah, uh, that's nuts. Not good. Um, so despite um, what's the I think I may have missed something here uh, Maradona scored a goal after dribbling past Alberto Taratini and Filola so he's kind of showing off again uh, despite the distrustful relationship Maradona had with Boca Juniors manager Silvio Mar- Marzolini Boca had a very successful season winning the league title after securing a point against Racing Club. Uh, this would be the only title Maradona won in the Argentine Domestic League. However, even though he was amazing, he couldn't carry the team. So he's not he's not Brett Favre or anything like that. Okay. Like he cannot carry the team. Um, and it's typical in soccer. Like you can have one great player. Like Liverpool had a, a guy called Steven Gerrard for years and years and years. And we won like a few Champions Leagues and stuff here and there. No league titles because one player does not make the team, unfortunately, in soccer. So yeah, see, I'm learning stuff about football <laughs> from from watching Ted Lasso. Oh yeah, that is that a show. really good show. I yeah, was surprised at how good that was. Yeah, um, well, it's like Jamie Tart is the you yeah. can't carry the team. So yeah, I exactly. Yeah, I'm you, learning. You, <laughs> exactly. So, like, it with it typically in in soccer, like you, if you have one great player, you'll never get relegated. You'll be fine. But you need like two or three great players, and then a team of reasonably good players around them, and then like substitutes who are quite good as well. Anyway, so back to Maradona again. Maradona was signed by Spanish giants Barcelona for a then world record fee of seven point six million dollars. This Damn. is nineteen eighty. Four, I think. Um, his time there was a mixed bag. He scored a goal that uh, managed to make both Real Madrid and Barcelona fans stand up and break out in rapturous applause. Now, wow. those two teams hate each other. And again, it's the rich versus poor thing. Uh, but also, like, um, the Spanish dictator... Um, oh, God, what's his name? God, I'm forgetting everyone's name today. Um, he was a massive Real Madrid fan, and during his dictatorship, they got the lion's share of um, investment, whereas Barcelona okay. were kind of pushed to one side. So the, the, a lot of Real Madrid fans, like, they get called collaborators because they were <laughs> the club were in the pocket of a fascist dictator for a while, so not, not so great. Um, so Franco, that was the name of the dictator. Ah, yeah, There okay. you go. Um, so so part of it. Yeah, so for 100,000 fans to break out in rapturous applause from both sides because he'd scored and scored against Real Madrid, that just that never, ever happens. 
Something that also rarely ever happens is one player instigating a riot. So Uh-oh. let's talk about that. Um, <laughs> in 1984, in the Copa del Rey final, which is the Spanish Cup, at the Santiago Bernabeu Stadium in Madrid. So they were in Madrid, uh, like I said, neutral venue. So Barcelona went to Madrid and Athletic Bilbao went to Madrid. So just stop, you know, any to stop any animosity didn't work to keep the gang uh, wars in check keep the gang wars away from the actual cities they belong in that's fine um after receiving a bunch of dangerous tackles and this is the worst part and this is unfortunately this still happens a lot in spanish football and a lot of other football clubs around the world being taunted with racist insults related to his father's native american ancestry or native south american ancestry throughout the match by bilbao fans and being provoked by Bilbao's uh, Miguel Solar at full time after Barcelona lost 1 0. So it was a really like physical game. Barcelona were basically kicked off the pitch, as was Maradona. Like basically everyone was hacking him down. I should point out uh, Diego Maradona is 5'5. Five five. He is oh, tiny. Yeah, he is a small man. And he always had a bit of a, a short man complex. Um, but, um, you know, the fact that he was 5'5 five five actually helped his footballing thing because he had such a low center of gravity and because he was quite muscular for a five foot five inch guy he it was virtually impossible to get him off the ball and then you combine that with his incredible ability to dribble and quite impressive speed for someone who was quite bulky he was virtually unstoppable like you basically had to break his leg to get the ball off him and that's essentially what bill bow did so. A little soccer tank. Yeah, he is a little whippet, only built as well, yeah. So, um, let's see. Uh, he was provoked by Miguel Soler at full-time after uh, Barcelona lost 1-0. Maradona snapped. He aggressively got up after lying down on the uh, ground, uh, stood up inches from Soler's face, and two exchanged words. This started a chain reaction of emotional reactions from both teams, Using expletives, Soler mimicked a gesture from the crowd towards Maradona by using a xenophobic term. So, yeah, I think I I don't need to go into too much detail about that horrible shit. Uh, Maradona then, yeah, Maradona, (laughs) um, being Maradona, headbutted Soler, dropped him, um, which I'm all right with that. If you're going to be racist (laughs) towards someone, you might get headbutted. Um, Yeah, it seems legit. Yeah, and then he was... Uh, then then the rest of the Bilbao players attacked him. He elbowed another Bilbao player in the face, breaking his nose, and uh, need another player in the head, knocking him to the floor as well. Knocking, well, actually knocking him out cold. It says here, so he's knocked out. He's he's knocked out three guys at this point. This five foot five inch psychopath. Um, the Bilbao squad um, surrounded Maradona to exact retribution with one of their players connecting with a high kick to his chest. Um, and sending him flying before the rest of the Barcelona squad jumped them and started a massive fucking brawl, including, like... (laughs) We're not just talking about players, right? The coaching staff, officials, stewards, police, fucking fans got on the pitch. Um, Wow. It got out of control. (laughs) From this point, um, they brawled across the field with Maradona, literally in the centre, just throwing kicks and punches at anything (laughs) that looked like a Bilbao player or a fan. I genuinely don't think he was wrong because he'd been like he'd had 90 minutes of racial abuse and yeah, like snapped. and been kicked and basically assaulted by other players i'd have headbutted three people as well at that point i think um he- but the it gets worse because 
Obviously, a mass brawl slash riot and full-on, essentially, assault isn't good. But it could only really get worse if, A, you're caught on camera doing it, which he was. It went out to hundreds of thousands slash millions of people worldwide. But also present in the stadium at that time was uh, King Juan Carlos of Spain. Um, and 100,000 people, including royal, mem- royal member families, invited dignitaries because it was a cup final. And more than half of Spain was watching on television. So that's 15 million people. Um, that's a lot of people. That's a shitload of people. <laughs> that's a lot that of was, witnesses. <laughs> that's a lot of witnesses to your assault. After fans bego- began throwing solid objects on uh, the field, the players, coaches, and even photographers, 60 people were injured in the riots, and that's not including the people who were brawling. These are the people that were hit by um, rocks and bottles and like chairs and shit. Flying um, other players. Yeah, pretty much shoes, <laughs> anything they could get their hands on. Uh, the incident effectively sealed Maradona's transfer out of the club in what was the last game in the Barcelona shirt, which I'm not surprised by at all. One Barcelona executive stated, when I saw those scenes of Maradona fighting and the chaos that followed, I realized we couldn't go any further with him. Yeah, no shit. Uh, you did it in front of the fucking king, dude. No wonder. Maradona got in frequ- into frequent disputes with the Barcelona executives anyway, particularly club, uh, club president uh, Josep Luis Nunes, uh, cu- uh, culminating with a demand to be transferred out of the new Camp in 1984. During his two injury-hit seasons at Barcelona, Maradona scored 38 goals in 58 games, which is still pretty fucking amazing. To- his oh, knees were falling season? apart. Yeah, he was two injured seasons. His knees were falling apart because he didn't get proper treatment for them. He um, still scored 38 goals in 58 games, which is pretty amazing. Nuts. This is where it gets really nuts. He then joined Napoli in Italy for another world record fee of $10.49 million, which was at least 90% mafia money because Napoli, Napoli was essentially a giant money laundering scheme at the time. So pretty much anyone who was in the Mafia, or particularly the Sicilian Mafia in Italy at the time, was uh, they were on the board of Napoli, and they were like, oh yeah, just go and sign the world's most expensive player, here's your money, and uh, they'd <laughs> siphon it out of the club another way. Um, at Napoli, Maradona re- uh, at Napoli, Maradona reached the peak of his professional career. He soon inherited the captain's armband and quickly became an adored star among the club's fans. In his time there, he elevated the team to the most successful in its history. Maradona played for Napoli at a period when north-south tensions in Italy were at a peak due to a variety of issues, notably the economic differences between the two. It's pretty much the north of Italy. You've got like Milan, you've got Pisa, you've got Florence, you know, you've got all these like Rome, all of that. The south of Italy um, is kind of very much split in the middle by the mountains and you've got Sicily and it's quite economically depressed at various stages in its history so yeah something that strikes me it's always the north versus the south it seems like it is what the hell's up same with that? in Wales <laughs> same in America same in Scotland same everywhere basically also there's always booze involved I don't know why there's just always booze involved in it somewhere um, Maradona played f- uh, yeah I've just mentioned that Led by Maradona, sorry, Napoli won their first Serie A Italian uh, championship in 86-87. Journalist David Goldblatt wrote, The celebrations were tumultuous. A rolling series of impromptu street parties and festivities broke out contagiously across the city in a round-the-clock carnival, which ran for over a week after they won. 
That's Crap. a fucking celebration right there. Yeah, it is. And also, yeah, <laughs> combine that with the Italian food and you got yourself a really good time. Uh, the, the world was turned upside down. The Neapolitans held mock funerals for Juventus and Milan, burning their coffins, their death notices announcing... May 1987, the other Italy has been defeated, a new empire is born. Football is fucking insane. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I, I had no idea. Yeah, it's fucking mad. It's scary at times. Um, murals of Maradona were painted on the city's ancient buildings, and newborn children were named in his honour. The poor fucking kids, man. They're probably still around now. Like, no, I've changed my name to David. I just fuck it. I, I can't be doing with that. The following season, the team's prolific attacking trio, formed by Maradona, Bruno Giardano, and Careca, uh, was dubbed Magica, magical front line. So that's, that's kind of a nice coincidence for Spanish speakers out there. Um, Napoli would uh, win their second league title in 89 to 1990 season and finish runners up in the league twice, 87 to 88 and 88 to 89. Other honours during the Maradona era at Napoli included the Coppa Italia, which is the Italian Cup, uh, second place finish in 1989, and they won it in 87. They won the UEFA Cup in 89, which is like the. Um, so the European leagues get together and they have like the the Champions League, which is the big one, and then like just below that, there's like the Europa League, which was called the UEFA Cup at the time. Uh, okay. So he he they won that, and the Italian Super Cup in 1990, which is what uh, it's the winners of the cup play the winners of the league the next season. So that's like a another big thing. Uh, during the 1989 UEFA Cup final against Stuttgart, Maradona scored from a penalty in a 2-1 home victory in the first leg, later assisting Caracas' match-winning goal, while in the second leg on uh, the 17th of May, uh, which was a 3-3 draw, he assisted uh, Shiro Ferrara's goal with a header. So at this point, he is on top of the world. And Sounds like it, yeah. Uh, I, I'll get to his international career in a bit, but that he's he's already won the World Cup at this point, so he is now the best player on the planet without a shadow of a doubt, and probably had been for about five years. It's just unfortunate that he'd never really seen the, the success that he deserved, but it kind of starts to go a bit kind of messed up here. Um, so yeah, despite uh, playing a creative role in midfield, he did really well. Um, in his time in Napoli, he scored 115 goals. His record was only recently broken by uh, a player called Marek Hamzic, who was at the club for like 12 years by the, before he <laughs> broke the record, whereas Maradona was there for like four or something. So it was That's... just continued. He's fucking insane. Uh, a lot when, of goals. Yeah. <laughs> when asked who was the toughest player he ever faced, AC Milan central defender Franco Baresi stated it was Maradona, a view shared by his Milan teammate Paolo Maldini. Although Maradona was successful on the field during his time in Italy, his personal problems increased. His cocaine use exploded and he received uh -oh. 17. Yeah, this, this fucking drug again, man. Um, he received $70,000 in fines from his club for missing games and practices, ostensibly because of stress. I'm assuming that's the kind of stress where you're awake at 3 a.m. gnashing your teeth together, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I can't sleep. Why? <laughs> <laughs> he was bad. He was really he was bad. railing eight balls and yeah. trying to make it to practice just, every now and again. And also, like, I, this is worth pointing out as well, by the end of his life, Maradona was nearly broke. 
we'll get to why that is, but I think you can see possibly why. Um, he also faced a scandal regarding an illegitimate son, and he was the object of some suspicion over an alleged friendship with the Camorra, or basically the Sicilian Mafia. They took, they basically paid for everything. Like he never paid for anything yeah. while he was in. He was a hero in Napoli, so everyone was like, like people were buying him flowers and giving him gifts, but the Mafia were like, you can have access to my yacht, or you can use my. My my summer house and here's a kilo of cocaine and you know it's, <laughs> like, yeah, it's not good, dude. Try not to do it. Um, let's see. Uh, in 2000, the number 10 jersey of Napoli was officially retired on December the 4th, 2020. Uh, Napoli's home stadium was rene- renamed the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona. They named the fucking stadium after him in Napoli. Ah. Napoli is still a big team in Italy as well. They're not quite as big as they were, but they're like. They kind of qualify for Europe every year, so they're still good. And all of that is because of Maradona 25, 30, 40 years ago now. So That's impactful right uh, there. Yeah, yeah, he set up a legacy. And he was only there for like half a decade. It's kind of amazing. So now we'll go on to his international career. Maradona played in all five matches of the 1982 World Cup without being substituted, scoring twice against Hungary. He was fouled repeatedly in all five games, and particularly in the last one against Brazil, uh, a game that was blighted by poor officiating and violent fouls. There was basically rumours that uh, the officials had been bought off and they allowed Maradona to have the shit kicked out of him. Um, Maradona, uh, with Argentina already 3-0 down to Brazil, Maradona's temper eventually got the better of him, and he was sent off with five minutes remaining for a serious retaliatory foul against a player called Batista. He essentially tried to break his leg. He went in with both legs at an angle on the guy's planted leg, and it kind of it bowed for a second. Horrible. And he, And again, he was... For a five foot five inch dude, he was all muscle. He was at full speed. He essentially tried to end his career, and that's yeah, straight red card, no yeah. problem whatsoever. Now the most notorious moment of his professional playing career, the nineteen eighty six World Cup. Argentina eliminated Uruguay in this first knockout stage round in Pueblo, setting up a match against England at the Azteca Stadium, also in Mexico City. After scoring two contrasting goals in the 2-1 quarter-final win against England, his legend was cemented by the first one. The majesty of his second goal and notoriety of his first led to the French newspaper L'Equipe describing Maradona as half-angel, half-devil. This match was played with the background of the Falklands War between Argentina and the United Kingdom uh, literally around about the same time. So probably not a great time for a bit of controversy in the match. Maradona scored his first goal. The ball was knocked over the defence and he went up for a header against England's goalkeeper. And the angle you saw it at, you couldn't quite see what happened, but the reaction of every England player around the ball, they immediately went and they started tapping their hands and they ran towards every official. No official saw it. And then we saw a replay from behind the goal. Maradona jumped up and went like that. And handed and just punched the ball into the back of the net with his hand, totally illegal. <laughs> um, and uh, that was um, basically replay showed the first goal was scored by you know striking his hand on the goal. Maradona was coyly evasive after the game, describing it as a little with the head of Maradona and a little with the hand of God. So. <laughs> Oh, boy. And ever since then, that goal has been... In fact, that entire World Cup has been known as the hand of God. The fact that he described it as the hand of God is like... 
you can see his ego is becoming a bit of a problem at this point. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's become known as the Hand of God. I have to be honest, I fully blame, uh, although Maradona cheated, there's no two ways about it, I fully blame England goalkeeper Peter Shilton, who, I mean, he was 40 at the time, which back in the 80s, like, nobody, no professional player in any sport really made it to 40 at the top level to be like their country's number one so Shilton was doing well but he at six foot four couldn't out jump a five foot five inch coked up psychopath so (laughs) seems seems a little bit rough yeah I feel like Shilton should have got there first you're a foot taller than this fucking guy and although he's been doing god knows how much blow for months you should be able to out jump him especially as you can do that like you have an extra like eighteen you're inches. Loud. Yeah, you're you're allowed to punch it. He fucking isn't. Ultimately, <laughs> on August uh, two thousand and five, blimey, all those years later, Maradona acknowledged on television on a television show that he had hit the ball with his hand purposely, and no contact with his head was made, and that he immediately <laughs> knew the goal was illegal. This became known as an international fiasco in World Cup history. The goal stood much to the wrath of England's players. Um, then something amazing happened. Maradona turns like a little eel and comes away from trouble. Little squat man um, comes inside Butcher and leaves him for dead outside Fennec and leaves him for dead and puts the ball away. And that is why Maradona is the greatest player in the world. That was um, the BBC radio commentary during the game describing the second goal. Maradona picked up the ball. Uh, his second goal, just four minutes after the hotly disputed handball goal, was voted by FIFA as the greatest goal in the history of the World Cup. He received oh, the ball yeah, he received the ball in his own half. He was seventy five meters away from the England goal at the time. He swiveled around and with eleven touches ran more than half the length of the field, dribbled past five English outfield players, uh Peter Beardsley, Steve Hodge, Peter Reed, Terry Butcher and Terry Fenwick, before he left the keeper, Peter Shilton, on his backside with a feint and slotted the ball into the net. It is uh, it is amazing. The fact that, and also we've got to remember, the 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 anger in this game, four minutes after he's deliberately scored this goal, you've got the backdrop of the Falklands War. You've got the fact that it is a semi-final in the World Cup. Biggest prize on the line. And then he does that, you know, four minutes after. That is a really special moment. The goal was voted goal of the century in the 2002 poll conducted by FIFA. 2002 Channel 4 poll, which is a UK station, saw his performance ranked as number six in the list of the 100 greatest sporting moments of all time. Argentina went on to, that's, you know, sixth of all time, you know. Um, Argentina went on to beat West Germany. There was was still West Germany at this point. uh, 3-2 in the final in front of 115,000 fans in the stadium. And this is it. This is amazing. Highest ever um, watched football match in history, 3.5 billion people on television. Holy crap. Th- billion with a B, like, my friend. That's 3.5 like most billion. of the world's population that's, that's at that time. That's half of the world at that time. It's <laughs> fucking scary. Um, Maradona captained Argentina. So now we're on to the 1990 World Cup. This is where things start to go downhill. Maradona captained Argentina again in the 1990 World Cup to yet another World Cup final. An ankle injury affected his performance. So even though he was fucked, he still got to the final with them and he was much less dominant. After losing their opening game to Cameroon, um, Argentina were all almost eliminated but managed to qualify in third position in the league, in the group stage. After the 16th round against Brazil, 
Um, he scored against them. They got through to the quarterfinals where they faced Yugoslavia. They uh, went to penalties. Maradona won it for them on penalties. The semi-final against the host nation Italy. Maradona's uh, was held in Napoli, in Maradona's club stadium <laughs> at the time. And um, it was also resolved on penalties after a 1-1 draw. This time, Maradona was uh, successful in his efforts, daringly rolling the ball into the net with an almost exact replica of uh, an unsuccessful kick he'd done in the tour, uh, in the previous round. Amazingly, he was sold um, after this match by Napoli, so uh, I don't think they were happy that he scored against the Italian national team in his own yeah. club stadium. Yeah. He's kind the, of a dick move. Fucking balls on this guy, <laughs> I swear to God. Also, you're pissing off the mafia. What are you yep. doing? Um, And in the final in Rome, Argentina lost 1-0 to West Germany, the only goal being a controversial penalty scored by uh, Andreas Brahma in the 85th minute after a Rudi Voller um, foul. The enduring visual of this World Cup is Maradona bawling his eyes out. So um, the Germans are celebrating with the World Cup. They're going like this. The Argentinians have already gone up to collect their medals. Um, The enduring image is him. (laughs) <laughs> they cut to the West Germans going, yes, like this, and the Maradona going, <laughs> crying his eyes out. And then teammates are going, because he's he's kind of sat down, he's crying. Teammates are coming up to him going, oh, boss, it's okay, it's mate. And then he goes, fuck off, leave me alone. Like It's like Jeez. a bunch of players come up to him to try and console him, and he tells them all to fuck off. It's amazing. What a little arsehole. Um <laughs> I mean, I can understand being upset, but come on, dude. They're your friends. Um, yeah. then, uh, He's bet on that game. He prob- <laughs> yeah, actually, knowing him, he probably did. Um, so, and, this ca- and now let's get to the end of his international career. At the 1994 World Cup in the United States, Maradona played in only two games, both at the Foxborough Stadium near Boston, scoring one goal against Greece before being sent home after failing a drug test for ephedrine doping. So, let's talk ah. let's talk about this goal. After scoring against Greece, Maradona had one of the most remarkable World Cup goal celebrations as he ran towards one of the sideline cameras screaming with uh, a frozen like wide-eyed face and bulging eyes. He basically went ah like that. <laughs> and like and he ran towards the camera doing that and then like carried on doing it as he walked towards the thing. At that point, FIFA officials were like I think maybe we should drug test him. Um, <laughs> don't know if uh, that's a normal response to scoring a goal in a World Cup, but maybe we'll ask him for a drugs test. Um, a little bit too hype. A little bit too <laughs> hype. We could see his forehead veins. That's probably not a good sign. So that turned out to be Maradona's last ever international goal and last ever game. Um and let's see in his autobiography Maradona argued that the test result was due to his personal trainer giving him the power drink rip fuel so um, he was given rip fuel his claim was that the US version unlike the Argentine one contained the chemical uh, what was it that he tested positive for ephedrine and having uh, run out of his Argentinian dosage his trainer unwittingly bought the US formula um, that's bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. You yeah. were doping, you little shit. Um, yeah, by 1994, his knees were starting to fall apart. His cocaine use had caught up with him. He's definitely doping. I, I don't doubt He's for a second. hanging in there. Yeah, he yeah. really is. 
Um, FIFA expelled him from USA 94, and Argentina was subsequently eliminated in the round of 16 by Romania in Los Angeles. Maradona also separately claimed that he had an agreement with FIFA on which the organization reneged to allow him to use the drug for weight loss before the competition in order to be able to play. So which is it? Was it yeah, a mistake? He's the story. Yeah. <laughs> or what were you allowed to use it by FIFA and they were like, no, we've changed your mind, you're fucked. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't buy it. He's yeah. he's lying. Let's be honest. Um, his failed drug test at the 1994 World Cup signaled the end of his international career, which lasted 17 years and yielded 34 goals from 91 games, including one winner's medal and one runners-up medal in the World Cup. Maradona also played and scored for Argentina um, 11 against the World Eleven in the ni- in 1978 to mark the first anniversary of the first the, the first anniversary of the first World Cup win. Oh, of the first World Cup win, scored for the Americas against the World in the Unis a fundraiser a short time after the 1986 triumph so um he's done a bunch of charity stuff but this one really interesting a year after he captained the rest of the world against the english football uh 11 um sorry this is he he sorry he captained uh the rest of the world against the english football 11 to celebrate um unicef's uh centenary he was paid a hundred thousand pounds so like $170,000 at the time, to play a charity match. So, Ooh, yeah, kind of a prick, cool. really. Yeah. You ain't no <laughs> communist if you're getting paid money to do a charity game, you, you scumbag. Um, <laughs> so let's get to his personal life. Um, during divorce proceedings, Maradona admitted that he was the father of Diego Sinagra, Um, who was born in Naples on the 20th of September 1986. The Italian courts had already ruled so in 1993 after a Madonna... Maradona... (laughs) Different, different thing. Maradona refused to undergo DNA tests to prove or disprove his paternity. It's kind of like the drink-driving thing. It's like if you refuse to provide a breathalyzer test, like, yeah, you're guilty. Yeah. It's pretty much... It's yours. It's, yeah, just take ownership (laughs) of it. Diego Jr., this is, this is, the most insane fucking story and actually not another it's this is another big black mark on maradona's character diego jr met maradona for the first time in may 2003 so he's like like uh 17 at this point yeah um for the first time in may 2003 after tricking his way onto a golf course in italy where maradona was playing sinagra is now a footballer playing in italy so maradona wouldn't see him so the guy lied to get on a golf course so that he could go and chase after his like coked up midget father basically um It's fucking horrible that he had to do that maradona's out here playing golf yeah. and the guy has to lie to go and see his dad that's that's kind when of. He waited up. until he was done with the child support news, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, like it's about to take swing on the 18th hole. And Dad, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> Just <laughs> in 2014, Maradona was accused of assaulting his girlfriend, Rocio Olivia. The accusations, uh, which he denied, of course. In 2017, he gifted her a house in Bella Vista, but in 2018, they split up and she stayed in the house, essentially um, keeping it. That's that's a big shit move. Also, around about this time, um, Maradona was being hounded by um, the press because he'd been caught up in um, kind of a drugs thing. And they were suggesting that maybe he was shipping drugs around the world. And when the press were outside his home, he started shooting at them with an air rifle and actually oh, shot damn. a couple of them in the face. 
So, um, wow. yeah, Maradona's... That's not the best thing you can do to knife. journalists. Um, <laughs> try not to shoot them. They're not like... Um, you know, American uh, politicians going hunting. You can't get away with shooting your friends in that situation. <laughs> um, so from the mid-1980s until 2004, Maradona was fully addicted to cocaine. He allegedly began using the drug in Barcelona in 1983, but by the time he was playing for Napoli, he had a full-blown addiction, which interfered with his ability to play football. Apparently it didn't interfere too badly because he was massively successful at that time. In the midst yeah. of his drug crisis in 1981, Maradona was asked by journalists if his hit song, because he was a musician as well, <laughs> My Disease, was dedicated to him. And he was like, yeah, and essentially admitted that he had a bit of a, a, a drug problem. He didn't say what, but people were kind of suspicious he, it was cocaine. He's kind of doing this all yeah. the time. I, don't, I can't tell you what it is. But yeah, it's <laughs> a bit obvious, wasn't it? Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't weed. Let's be honest with this guy. <laughs> Maradona's tendency to uh, put on weight, and and he suffered increasingly from obesity. At one point uh, later on in his life, he weighed two hundred and eighty pounds. This guy is five foot five. That's a lot. That's yeah. that is big. He was um, obese from the end of his playing career until undergoing uh, gastric bypass surgery in a clinic in Colombia on uh, the 6th of March 2005. His surgeon said that Maradona would follow a liquid diet for three months in order to uh, return to his normal weight. When, Ma when Maradona resumed public appearances shortly thereafter, he displayed a notably thinner figure, which I uh, put down to his liquid and powder diet. Um, <laughs> no doubt at this point. On uh, Mar uh, 29th of March 2007, Maradona was readmitted to hospital in Buenos Aires. He was treated for hepatitis and effects of alcohol abuse and was released on the 11th of April, but readmitted two days later after he went and got drunk. Um, yeah, that's not, something you don't do. Yeah, you don't do that <laughs> with hepatitis infections. You don't go out and get pissed. Um, in the following days, there were constant rumours about his death, including three false claims of his death within a month, after being transferred to a psychiatric clinic specialising in alcohol-related problems. Maradona was discharged on the 7th of May. On the 8th of May 2007, Maradona appeared on Argentine television and stated that he had quit drinking and had not used drugs in two and a half years. I think he meant minutes, potentially, at that point. <laughs> yeah, this guy's got a record of lying. Yeah, I don't I don't fully believe that. Although I, I want him to be over it, we know that that's probably not the case. During the 2018 World Cup match between Argentina and Nigeria, so Maradona was also an international manager and a club manager, and he was reasonably successful but it's always the same with these players that become managers like if you're a great player you're rarely ever a great manager it's almost always the players that are okay to average that end up being great managers if you're a great player you just don't have time to become a good manager for some reason that seems to be the case in soccer anyway uh, Maradona during the World Cup game 2018 between Argentina and Nigeria Maradona was shown on television cameras having uh, extre behaving extremely erratically. This is while he's manager of the Argentina national team. With an abundance of white residue visible on the glass <laughs> in front of his seat in the stands. The smudges could have been fingerprints and he later blamed his behaviour because uh, saying he consumed lots of wine. Sure, buddy. Sure. Yeah. yeah, white powdery wine. White powdery wine. Yeah, it's it's uh, you got to mix that in there, you know, get that get that random powder in there. Um, he's getting. Also, who drinks wine when you're on the job? 
What the fuck, dude? Yeah. This is a World Cup yeah. game. Don't get drunk. <laughs> in March 2009, Italian officials announced that Maradona still owed the Italian government 37 million euros in local taxes, 23.5 million of which was accrued interest on his original debt. The report uh, that at that point, Madonna, Madonna again, Maradona had only paid $42,000 and he'd paid. <laughs> with using two luxury watches and a set of earrings. He was like, will this do? <laughs> I've got, hold on, hold on, there we go. Yeah, those are nice earrings. Oh, and I've got a couple of watches both on the same hand. There you go, that's fine. Just ignore the white bag of powder in my pocket, that's fine. So you probably try to use that, and they were like, whoa. <laughs> will this do? Can you, can you, you know, go and have some fun? You know, the watches are great. Waterproof and all sorts. So yeah, it's like you owe us thirty-seven million. Oh, hang on. Uh, do you take ties? Do you take this one's? <laughs> it's really nice. It's velvet. Um, so Maradona in two th- in November two thousand and twenty. This is where it gets sad. Maradona was admitted to a hospital in La Plata, supposedly for psychological reasons. Uh, a representative of the ex-footballer said his condition was not serious. A day later, he underwent emergency brain surgery to treat a subdermal hematoma. He was released on the twelfth of November after a successful surgery and was supervised by doctors as an, outp- an, an outpatient. However, on the twenty-fifth of November, twenty twenty, at the age of sixty, Maradona suffered cardiac arrest and died in his sleep uh, at his home in Decay, Lujan, Buenos Aires, province, Argentina. After he died, um, there was a kind of essentially a state funeral for him in Argentina and in Naples and all over the world. Um, Everyone kind of came together for him, despite the fact everyone knew that he was, you know, also a bit of a scumbag. They honoured the achievements as opposed to the man. Um, right. When he was asked for, uh, the, the soon as the news happened, apparently Pele was being interviewed at the time, and the interviewer heard um, about the passing, and he asked Pele, who for me is the greatest player of all time because he didn't have a coke habit. Um, yeah, <laughs> Pele said. That's really sad news. I've lost a great friend and the world has lost a legend. It's also worth pointing out, uh, Maradona fucking hated Pele for a very long time and uh, they couldn't stand each other. However, um, whenever he was asked in interviews, he always said that he had nothing but respect for him because they both came from absolute grinding poverty and became huge icons, which is kind of a good thing. So... That is the story of Diego Maradona, probably the most notorious soccer player of all time. Well, at least one of them. Um, And possibly the worst um, athlete outside of American sports for cocaine misuse in the history of the world. Um, What do you make of the story of the five foot five inch coke fiend Diego Maradona? (laughs) It's... That's a neat story. It is. Like, there's a lot to it. And, I mean, for the most part, the guy... He was all right. I mean, yeah. he was a great player. Amazing uh, player. A, kind of a dick for leaving his kid and <laughs> yeah. beating his own team. And mm, He was kind of... Well, his, his thing is, it's it's the, there is greatness that knows humbleness, right? Pele is notoriously 
kind of like he was always very nice to people he was always very polite and stuff maradona was the polar opposite he was an asshole to pretty much everyone except his family like uh, there are rumors that he was basically like anyone who was in his family except his legitimate son apparently except for diego jr except for diego jr <laughs> he was he treated them like kings and did everything he could to make sure that and that's part of the reason he didn't have much money when he died is because his family he'd given a lot of it to them and like their local communities and stuff so there is that aspect of him he was very giving he was um, a communist in sort of nature so he did donate a lot of money to local uh, organizations and stuff like that but yeah he was a prick there's no two ways about so it he gets all kinds of points back for that yeah but i mean being a professional athlete mm. and wandering down that path of yeah. cheating yeah um, basically the the hand of god the hand of god um, what a dick that sort of cockiness mm. the lying about doping yeah the ditching his Ill- illegitimate kid yeah not paying taxes shooting journalists yeah, shooting at journalists and hitting some in the face. Yeah, I mean, there's not paying your taxes. Like, I mean, some taxes, like you, like, oh, that's that feels like a bit of a con. Like, why the fuck should I have to pay this? There's not paying your taxes, and then there's owing thirty seven million euros to the fucking government. That's that's yeah, like that's three Wesley Snipes. Is that's a lot <laughs> of money. Um, I. I want to give like a fair score, but I, I feel like I can't get too high because I mean mm. he's, a, he's a legend that yeah. gave a lot. Mm. Um, he just had a drug problem. Yeah, big time. And, it was essentially, the Rick James of football. Problem. Yeah, basically. Um, man, I think I I feel. Oh, sorry, that's my phone. I don't know seventy seventy uh, eight. I think okay. So, uh, I, I mean, uh, maybe a bit lower. I, I'd I'd happily accept slightly lower for this because, like you say, Diego Maradona, um, had he had none of this stuff existed, had none of his issues with cocaine and all that, he would probably be classed as either first or second greatest footballer of all time. I would suggest now that because of the success of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, he's probably fourth, certainly in my eyes because those players have achieved more than he has in terms of club football and neither of them have really done it with I mean there's there's a thing hanging over Cristiano Ronaldo at the moment allegations about sexual assault which we won't go into because it's like a whole pending thing but like there's allegedly allegedly <laughs> so like they don't have massively controversial pasts at least not at this point whereas Maradona was almost defined by two things his greatness and his controversies so, right. whereas Pele, all great. Like, there's no downside to Pele. Super humble. Humble, too. Yeah. nice. Uh, raises awareness about erectile dysfunction, which is kind of a random thing to say. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I get that. I, I love the things that Diego Maradona could do. Because when you see someone who is clearly a genius, whether it's a physical genius or a mathematical genius or whatever it might be, you are in awe of what these people can do. And it is, it is yeah. it's something where you, you say to people, you know, and you can think, what a time to be alive. I saw so-and-so do this, you know, and right. to be able to say that, like, to be able to say, I watched Leonardo da Vinci, you know, uh, paint the Sistine Chapel or Michelangelo create David or I saw Diego Maradona run 76 yards in front of 100,000 people in 90 degree weather after just deliberately cheating and score the greatest goal in World <laughs> Cup history. Like, it is equivalent, in a sense. So, 
I'm I'm happy with 78 for Diego Maradona because while he is a prick and clearly an idiot, um, he is uh, he's an icon. So yeah, I feel like that's fair. And it's the same thing with Rick James. Like Rick James was a fucking idiot, but he is iconic <laughs> for a lot of the work he did. And whereas your guy, whose name I can't remember, he's just a dick. He's just a prick <laughs> and a horrible, nasty man who uh, yeah. threw his kind of decent retirement away for nothing really worthwhile so so there we yeah, go to start a hate group and to start a hate group and, and basically go off the rails in the weirdest way possible so that's our episode uh for this installment there was um sorry please say your guy's name again so that i can remember um it's ben uh, it's quite a complicated name isn't it because he was from like Glesson? ben Glesson. no it's yeah it's bert Bernhard Ben Klesson? Let's say Ben Klesson. Ben Klesson, yeah. who was the, about the, as far right as you can go without being Genghis Khan, um, and who we probably wouldn't have liked either. And Diego <laughs> no. Maradona, the man who would have been the greatest player in the world ever had he not fucked up a few times and been addicted to cocaine. So, what do you? Uh, what are your thoughts of this week's episode? So how do you feel about like what you feel like? I learned a lot about soccer. Mm, That's there's what, a, there's yeah. a lot to love about soccer, a lot to hate, but it's a really interesting sport. It's it's one of the reasons I love it as much as I do wrestling because. There's a lot of like behind the scenes stuff that make it fascinating, and that's part of yeah. why you love these sports. Like you, you hear about all these rumors. Like the game is one thing, but the culture around it's totally fascinating. So, yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, I was kind of bummed out to learn and do my research. I just kind of stumbled upon it as mm. I was wandering through cults, as I do. Yeah, and that whole uh, Church of the Creator, Ugh. New World Church of the Creator thing is some bad, bad juju. That is uh, that that guy started. Yeah. So if any of you out there are in a position where you can retire in your mid to late thirties, and um, you think maybe I should start another venture, maybe after um, you know your tin can electric tin can opener doesn't work. <laughs> Don't just become an avowed racist and uh, go off into the wilderness preaching hate. And if you do have a an actual gift from God, whether it is a, a physical gift or a, 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 a some sort of educational gift or whatever it might be, and you are considered one of the greatest in the world, for the love of God, have someone around you who can say, maybe you shouldn't do cocaine. Maybe not this time. Maybe you have a day off from the cocaine. So... <laughs> Um, that's our episode for this week we will see you again soon Derek would you like to say goodbye bye everybody and we will see you in episode 19 take care now bye bye